Welcome to our uh, Destiny Online family. Hey, I wanted to mention that on Thursday nights at 6 p.m., we have an online community group that is specifically designed for you. So I hope you'll join us. This past week, we had Oklahoma, Washington, D.C., um, uh, New York, Destiny Table, New York. But at 6 p.m. Oklahoma time, just join us. Go to the Facebook page for Destiny, and you'll find our Destiny Christian Center online campus, and we would love to see you there. God bless. Well, I want, to, um, I want to take you on a journey today in Scripture that is way beyond my league. Um, the reality is I understand that even you know, what today is about is exploring and recognizing we must move past the essence of man's genius to experience the power of God. And if we rely on man's genius, it's Paul saying in 2 Corinthians 2, 3 through 5, um, I came to you in weakness. My message was not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the power of God. That your faith might not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. And, and let's just be honest, we're in a very well-polished church age where largely the faith of the Western world church rests more on man's clever than it does on God's power. And this is very problematic. I really believe this fall we're going to focus in, I just keep sensing it over and over, that we're going to take a look in the course of the fall of what it is to live in a state of functional ruins. And we're going to explore and we're just going to study the book of Nehemiah together of what it means to rebuild the wall as the Holy Spirit is at work in this hour of the church rebuilding the Western world church to a beautiful bride that he's designed us to be. His spirit is at work within us. But I just I I want to um, I want to walk cautiously into some of the things I'm going to say. Again, I feel like a lot of this terminology, even that I'm going to use, I'm going to try and pronounce a Hebrew word or two. Um, <clears throat> if I just say it quickly and use a lot of <laughs> then nobody even knows. <laughs> Got it. Um, but in the, in the process of just studying out and praying, I just felt the Lord kept kind of taking me out of the surface preparation into these deeper places. And, and I mean, it was profound before, um, before we started. We do a little time of prayer and just pressing in, and then we do a mic check, and, and I, I read the scriptures that we're going to look at in the service as the scriptures are coming up. And, and literally, for the first time ever, I'm standing here reading those verses of scripture getting emotional while we're just doing a sound check I just want to say he's here like he's here in a special way but even more so on this Pentecost Sunday 
And we're going to walk out of here today with a greater understanding and a deeper appreciation of what that really means. Because I believe the Lord's going to give us an impartation uh, to all of what He's been doing for centuries. And so, Lord, there's really nothing I can say that will carry any weight the way you desire for a message uh, to, to carry. So I just say, Lord, uh, openly that without you, we're going nowhere. Don't send us up from here unless your presence goes with us. Lord, we, we need your presence. In the way we read your word, we need your presence. In the way we worship, we need your presence. In the way we interact with people around us that we love and care for, we need your presence. In the way we deal with those who are undesirable that we have to maybe work with or be around and they're, they're unkind, we need your presence melting hearts, transitioning our lives, releasing something of the atmosphere of God's kingdom. Everywhere we go, we are the carriers of your presence. And we bring God's presence to real life. So let us experience that as we encounter you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are going to be moving to uh, the book of Jeremiah, I'm going to take you several places today as we walk through this and just lay some groundwork. Jeremiah 31 is where we're going to land in a few moments. But we are officially 50 days past, think about what I'm saying, we're 50 days past our celebration of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Pentecost means 50. So these two celebrations spaced 50 days apart didn't start when Jesus came and uh, died on a cross for us. Those two celebrations actually started 1,500 years before Jesus came. And so the crucifixion of Christ happened when the Israelites were celebrating the Passover. And the reason the crucifixion of Christ landed on the very time of the, the Passover feast was because Jesus was fulfilling that prophetic declaration of the Passover lamb, the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of humanity. And so 1,500 years before Jesus dies on the cross, the Israelites are in the bondage of Egypt, and the final plague is coming to liberate them out of the bondage of Egypt. And what's that final plague? It was the uh, angel of death passing over, which is where we get the concept, understanding, and idea of Passover, passing over all the homes where they actually took the blood of a sacrificial lamb. And think about this. They, it's wild to look into all of this, the hyssop that they used, and when they would smack it at the top of the doorframe, blood and water would smack on the doorframe. Does that sound like anything you've known? And they would then smack it on the sides of the doorframe. And that water and blood at the top would drip down to the ground. And do you understand what that forms in the doorway as they would come out? All these 
uh, slaves came out and the Bible says none were sick among them and their shoes didn't wear out for 40 years in the wilderness. I mean, it's pretty crazy to think about what all was taking place. And I believe these sickly slaves actually walked through the door representing the cross of Jesus Christ and their bodies were miraculously healed as they passed through that door walking out into a place of freedom that God was calling them. I, I mean, I think there's some amazing, amazing stuff that we're going to know. We, we will one day know in full and these types of stories that we've heard about will suddenly have phenomenal awareness that God is going to allow us to see we see dimly right now but here the Israelites come out of the bondage of, of Egypt in this Passover moment crossing through this prophetic declaration of, of the Christ to come you understand all this is prophetic we did uh, we took a few years ago 66 Sundays to look at 66 books of the Bible. People were very concerned when I was telling them, well, I'm going to just preach on each book each week and do 66 sermons on where is Jesus in the book of whatever the book was that week. My favorite message in that was Leviticus, believe it or not. It's amazing how Jesus is revealed in every single book of the Bible. You can find those on our website. Go explore those, particularly as you're walking through your turn the page you get into another book of the Bible, then it'd be great just to go listen to how Jesus is revealed in that particular book as you start to walk that out. But I want you just to think with me for a moment. Who am I talking about when I say the king tried to kill him by ordering the death of all male children when he was born? Who am I talking about when I say divine direction was given to hide and protect him as a boy? Who am I talking about when I say there was a long period of silence between childhood to adulthood? He went from a place of power to a place of poverty in order to become a deliverer. He ministered to a woman at the well. He fasted and prayed for 40 days. He performed mighty signs and wonders. I'm speaking of Moses and I'm speaking of Jesus. And what we have to understand is what took place in the days of Moses was a foretelling of that which was to come. And Moses is a type or a shadow of the Christ who would come as a deliverer. I mean, it's amazing how this is all embedded and interwoven into Scripture as we look at this. So, so even more so, the Passover as they're coming out of Egypt. And guess what? Something significant happened 50 days after the Israelites came out of the bondage of Egypt. After Passover, 50 days later, we find Moses on Mount Sinai receiving the law of God from the Father. And that then becomes the celebration of those 1,500 years. This, these two festivals taking place 50 days apart in the course of 1,500 years. We have Passover and we have Shavuot. <sighs> it's the best I got. <laughs> it's what we understand as Pentecost. So we have Passover, 50 days later, Pentecost. Passover, 50 days later, Pentecost. 1,500 years of this celebration. Every year in the progression of time, these two celebrations were taking place. Suddenly Jesus shows up. He's the ultimate sacrifice for all of our sin. He dies when they are celebrating Passover. And then 50 days later, He sends His Spirit to awaken His Word within our hearts. What you have to understand, what I have to understand, this was commemorating Moses on Mount Sinai as God in Mount Zion was writing the law of God on our hearts by the Spirit of God. And that was the parallel of what was taking place in the fulfillment of this day of Pentecost. Yeah. 
Moses on the mountain, he's standing there, and God speaks, and, and different rabbis have different uh, explanations of this, but think about the fire of God, and when God would speak, burning into those tablets the Word of God, and it speaks of the Word and the Spirit. How many of you know we need to learn to function with the Spirit and the Word in cooperative agreement, and the fire of God coming out of the voice of the Lord as He would speak the, the commandments, the, the Ten Commandments, the law of Moses, and He would speak that and would etch into that stone. We don't know how all that happened, but what we do know is it's an incredible type of what God was desiring to say was going to take place when the day of Pentecost truly arrived and the voice of God would release a fire from heaven that would rest upon these individuals and He would restore and replenish something that was lost as He wrote the law of God on our hearts. I think it's interesting in Exodus 20, we read about this, but in Exodus 19, it speaks of how the Israelites responded to God's invitation to go to a deeper place with Him, and it says they were all in one accord, or they were all in unity, or they were all in agreement. Some translations say as they, fa- they acted as one man. Do you think it might be significant that in the moment of time when God was releasing that, which would awaken the law of God in our hearts one day, they were all in one accord, and then the fire of God came to write the law of God on those tablets. You you know your Acts chapter 2, all in one accord, and the Spirit came, right? We're going to get to that. But let's first take a look at the law, the promise that this law would be written on our hearts. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Lord, as we're reading your word, We understand, we are reading ancient writings that speak of us. Ancient writings from ancient days that clarify this season of the church that we have the unique privilege of living in. Help us, Lord, to embrace that reality in Jesus' mighty name. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. I mean, we just have to understand people longed for the day that you and I have the privilege to live in today. Do you recognize that? Like, they longed for, for the opportunity to be in this space where, where we would not just interact together, but we actually would intimately interact with God, which then awakens a deeper interaction together, which then produces a deeper interaction with God. Where there is unity, there is power. I, every time I prayed over this today, again, I, I just felt like um, the Lord not too long ago was, was saying to me about preserving the unity of the faith. And I, I mentioned it in a message, and I said, I don't know of you know, disunity and fusses or arguments and contention. I, 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 honestly, we work with a number of churches, and I am 
thankful to be able to say, I believe we have the healthiest environment of our leadership and church family of any church I am aware of. I, I'm not kidding you. Like, that's a reality. There are deep, deep relationships that have existed for many, many years, and we're, we're on the same page of understanding what unity really looks like. How many of you know, we say it often, you can have distinction without having to have division. Let's all say that together. That's an important phrase. Can you say it with me? You can have distinction without having to have division. What that means is we don't even have to agree on all the secondary doctrinal things. And you don't have to get mad if a secondary doctrinal issue isn't something that becomes a, a pet doctrine of the house. You just keep growing in your knowledge of the Word. And the reason I say secondary is because primarily, let me just say, Jesus is always Lord. He is the only way to the Father. You cannot get to heaven without accepting Christ. And it is about surrendering and dying, not trying to live your best life, and God's going to help you do that. I mean, these are the primary fundamental doctrines. Those are not going to change. But how you walk out the rest of those things surrounding that as God begins to awaken you to more of what He desires for you to possess, that's a journey that we're all on. And so I want us to see kind of how to walk that journey out together. And we're going to go right to Acts chapter 2. And we want to read about this Pentecost Sunday and why this is so important. And let me just make it clear. I want to make sure there's no question we believe, and I'm going to show you in Scripture, we believe that salvation is primary. You need the Lord Jesus Christ, and you need to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. We also believe that being filled with the Holy Spirit is not an occurrence that always happens at the moment of salvation. You need to see that, and, and I'm, again, don't, don't, you know, don't rip your clothes and shout, shout blasphemy until you've seen it in Scripture, and you look at your theological framework and why you believe the way you do, because a lot of people have decided what they believe before they even look at the Bible to tell them what it is they're supposed to believe. Or maybe another way to say this is a lot of people don't let the Bible get in the way of what they've decided to believe. So let's take a look. Acts chapter 2. 1 to 4, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. There's that unity again. Other translations say in one accord. Hondas are in the Bible. Verse 2, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all, everyone, all, not, the, not just a few chosen, all were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Very important that you understand this. They spoke in tongues as the Spirit enabled them to do so. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak in tongues through you. You have to choose to speak in tongues as the Holy Spirit enables you to do so. We've just got to see what the, the way the, the Word of God frames all this up. People longed for the day that you and I live in where we would be able to encounter God in such a deep, meaningful way. Now, I know we're talking tongues and, you know, that, that starts to create reactions sometimes in the church. And if there was actually a language of the Spirit that would produce 
a release of God's power where the person praying in the Spirit would be built up in their most holy faith according to Jude chapter 1 and a release of unity and the power of God in the body of Christ. If there was something like that and I were the devil, that would be the issue I would try and get the church divided over. And I'm just going to point this out. This, this is amazing, amazing. It's fascinating when you look at it. Again, we're going to see all this one day and know it with greater clarity. But if you turn with me to the book of Zephaniah, it's this minor prophet book in the latter portion of the Old Testament. Zephaniah chapter 3. There's a really curious declaration of Scripture that really sets the groundwork for us to understand something that God was working to replenish when we see this day of Pentecost taking place. And, and you may not have ever thought of it in these terms. Maybe you've never thought of Moses on Mount Sinai and the law and how that, you know, the Spirit and the law. I, I mean, you start exploring these things. It's just like, my, my God, help us, Lord, to understand all these wonderful realities that you've chosen to reveal to position us generationally to carry the baton forward to the next generation more readily in tune with God than we were when we started this journey. Come on, how about it? We want to grow deeper in the things of the Lord. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 9. Speaking of, of our day, future day, past Messiah has come and, and the people will be established as God's people. For then I will restore to the people a pure language. What is that about? Why would there have to be a pure language restored? Then I will restore to the people a pure language that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve Him with one accord. This unity thing is really important. So I'm going to just keep saying to you, if you hear something that you might not understand or you might not agree with, just, rem just remember, we can have distinction without having to have division. Just keep exploring. And, and let me just ask this question. Maybe over the past 10 years of your life, how many of you have uh, made adjustments to some of your beliefs as you've read the Scripture and grown to be more mature and aware of His Word? Raise your hand if you've made adjustments to some of your uh, beliefs. And so, I mean, we should be on this journey growing. Some of the basic primaries were never going to change, but we should grow I mean, there are things that I used to argue with Tracy about when we would have, you know, our little marital doctrinal conclusion. She was trying to straighten me out. But, but you know, I'd have these, and, and like some of that stuff I'm looking at now, like I don't even know what all that hubbub and fuss was about. But the first time, I mean, I'd just come off drugs and I was trying to explore, you know, what it is just to follow the call of God. People were asking me to speak. And I'm up there and I'm talking. I literally, one time, Tracy's sitting there in the front row, and I said, And Jesus in Samaria. I said Samaria instead of Samaria. And I'm thinking, like, he must have gone to the Orient or something, you know. I mean, and she's, you know, she's just patiently shaking her head and after. I mean, she grew up in, you know, all these little, uh, she went through missionettes and, and got the crown and everything. So, uh, she, you know, she's had just a wealth of Bible knowledge helping hold me rooted. But in this exploring and studying, you know, just you keep on learning more and you just recognize this is going to be eternity. Do you understand that? Like eternity is exploring, learning, growing in the eternal reality of God. The eternal nature of Christ is just so multifaceted. I mean, there's no language to express it, and perhaps that's why the Lord wants to restore a pure language that's beyond our comprehension, beyond our understanding. Some people would say it's mindless babbling or perhaps spiritual bubbling 
But there's this restoration promised that there'll be a restoring of, to people of a pure language. So, fifty days after Passover, Pentecost takes place. The people were in one accord, and suddenly God restores a pure language. And the fulfillment of that declaration and the perpetuation of it then is initiated. And the language had to be restored if you think back. There's a time in Scripture where the people were in one mind and one accord and they had a common language. What is it that I'm talking about? Because the Bible actually says God's declaration. If they speak the same language, nothing will be impossible to them. Genesis chapter 11 verse 8. So God came down and he confused language. So then we see Zephaniah saying God's going to restore the pure language that was lost. And then we see Acts chapter 2 where praying in tongues, praying in the Spirit is restored into the church. And there, there are two expressions, and I'm not going to go into all this. There's a lot of teaching on our website for this, but two expressions of the gift of tongues. One is a, a gift that actually has interpretation for understanding, and the other is a prayer language, praying in the Spirit in your own life that is a building up Jude chapter 1 says build yourself up in the most holy faith as you pray in the Holy Ghost we know God is not a respecter of persons therefore he is not going to give a self-edifying gift to one and not give that self-edifying gift for the other so it is our position it is God's plan for you to build yourself up in the most holy faith praying in the spirit and praying with understanding according to what Paul says. So Genesis 11.8, this Tower of Babel uh, takes place and then we see Pentecost is this incredible, blessed reversal of a man-centered Tower of Babel. Now think about this, because as I was just reflecting on this this week, I just felt like the Lord was stirring so much understanding to it, illumination to it. You know, we're, we're not just having a chat right now where I'm trying to convince you of something. We're, we're trying to listen to the Lord together, right? That is what's taking place when we gather as the church. You don't need a man to teach you for the anointing. We'll teach you First John chapter 2. So you, that's what Pentecost is all about. You then start learning to interact with God yourself. And even when somebody is teaching the Word and they're bringing insights, you know velvet, you know Velcro, you've got to learn to spit out the bones, even from people that you highly trust. There's sometimes any of us can start to deviate around you know, some personal preferences and so forth. So just pay attention to that because all of us are fully capable of this Babel, uh, Tower of Babel pursuit of um, being lost and focused on our own self-capacities and abilities. And that's what was happening in this day with the Tower of Babel. And think about this, the things that the men of Babel vainly sought, the things they were ambitiously pursuing, we're going to build a tower to the heavens, right? We're going to speak one common language. We're going to build a tower to the heavens. And the things that these men of, of Babel vainly sought actually reflects what God wants for all of us. Think about it. Jesus does want us to reach into heaven where we understand what it is to be seated in Christ in heavenly places. 
He wants us to reach into heaven and experience and explore that. But He wants us to do it by His Spirit, not by our own abilities. Moving us from our fleshly, ambitious pursuits, I'm going to build this thing, versus I'm going to surrender fully to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that posture of death to myself and surrender to Christ, I then am in Christ. Christ is in me and I'm seated in heavenly places in Him. So then we read further in Acts chapter 2 to verse 39. So this is now after the Holy Spirit has been poured out, this amazing day of Pentecost. By the way, on the day of Pentecost, uh, it's really kind of wild, but the recognition of, of some people that were standing in, in the most amazing move of God all humanity had ever experienced and encountered, and they were skeptical, and they were critical, and still today, people are just skeptical and critical about the move of the Spirit. They can be in the presence of God, but unless the presence of God is awakened within them and they're willing to receive that, then they're missing out on so much of what God desires. So Acts 2.39 helps us understand that. The promise of the Spirit, the promise, this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. This was not just an occurrence for Acts chapter 2. We actually read about it again in Acts chapter 4. We actually read about it again later in the book of Acts. I mean, there were people who got filled with the Holy Spirit who then got filled with the Holy Spirit some more, indicating very clearly we leak and need to be refilled on an ongoing basis. Okay, so I want to say to you, be filled with the Spirit today, full to overflowing once again. Let the Holy Spirit every day fill you full to overflowing. This promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. And then, and then there's this, this is the point, it's kind of a sticking point. You know, I made it earlier and didn't give you the scripture basis for it, but here's one of them in Acts chapter 19, verse 2. So is it not the reality when you accept Christ, you get the Spirit? And the answer is yes, the Spirit is deposited within you when you accept Christ. But the filling of the Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this is a distinction that we find actually made in Scripture. And it's another encounter and experience with God that you should explore and experience. Acts 19 verse 2, Paul asked them, did you, very specifically he's talking to believers, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Why would he ask a question like that if it's all one and the same? Because it's not. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And I think these people went to church kind of where I did when I was a kid because they said, no, we didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. I grew up going to a church like that. We loved the Father and we celebrated the Son and we want everybody to be saved. And all the sermons were around the Father and the Son. There wasn't a mention of the Holy Spirit because that's a little bit spooky. So let me just first point something out. Peter Lord pastored for years Park Avenue Baptist Church. He's written several books. One uh, very well-known book is just about hearing the voice of God. And he explained, as he'd written about hearing the voice of God, what it was to hear the voice of God about the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a pastor of a Baptist church. You call that Bapticostal, is what you call that. When it all comes together. And Peter Lord said that he was just in prayer, and God asked him, have you received your mother-in-law into your house? 
And he said it was a real challenging reality because he was not exactly excited about the, the perspective that had happened in his life. His mother-in-law actually had moved into the home. And the Lord was giving him this analogy saying, have you received your mother-in-law into your house? He's like, well, she's there. She lives there. No, have you received her? Do you interact with her warmly? Do you acknowledge her presence? Do you search for interaction that actually will enrich your life? Have you received her? Is the Holy Spirit in you when you get saved? Well, He's there. Have you received Him? May the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Do you know what it is to interact with the Holy Spirit because you have been baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by God to have this interaction of humanity and deity commingling in such a powerfully profound way? This is God's design. This is God's desire. You could have been born in Old Testament times, but God chose you to live in this day of New Testament power of the Holy Spirit. Power of the Holy Spirit. Power of the Holy Spirit. This is so important in your call to this generation. This is vital that you understand it. I'm passionate and more convicted than ever about not being soft on this very important issue, particularly in the day that you and I are living in. There are some crazy things taking place in our generation right now. And I feel the Lord's been stirring me more and more that there's a, a point coming soon where we're going to begin to look at some of the social issues that exist from the perspective of the kingdom of God must be our prevailing disposition and perspective because a lot of the world has bought into the ideologies and philosophies of the church. And if you're not full of the Spirit of God, then you're just swayed back and forth and here and there, and all of a sudden your doctrine starts co-mingling with the world system. You get doctrinally confused and you are absolutely in trouble because the Bible says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. So we need the Spirit of God helping us know that's Velcro, that's velvet. Yeah, that's velvet. I sense that's right. That's Velcro. It's a little rough. I discern something is off there. We need to walk in this power of the Holy Spirit. Now, now think about what I'm, what I'm going to say. I want to paint a picture for you. I, I talk about all this very elaborately in a series of sermons. And it's, we did it, I don't know, several years ago. It's the not-so-spooky ghost stories, I think is what we called it. And we went through five weeks of explaining a lot of detail. And I want to point you to it. If you go to our website, to destinyokc.com, if you'll just go there and click resources, then you'll find, I think it actually says Spirit, Holy Spirit, um, something like that. And, and it'll take you right to a written document, the blogs explaining, and the sermons that are there. And I would encourage you, because I break this down more specifically, but, but if you were born before the year 2000, let me hear an amen. amen. If you were born after the year or on the year 2000, for 2000 or later, then say amen. amen. <laughs> I'm feeling a lot of age over on this side. <laughs> so, the century, the 20th century, is remarkable. So if the Bible says, and it does, in the last days your sons and daughters will prophesy, it would kind of make sense to me that historians of the last days would begin to notice some type of movement of the Spirit. In the year 1900, there really was no 
documented evidence of any personal Pentecostal experience or encounter going on in the church world around the world. Nothing, nothing was standout, nothing was evidenced, nothing was aware, uh, nothing was written about. But in you know, the early 1900s, something started happening. You've heard of Azusa Street Revival and other awakenings in the progression of that century. But this is what's so astonishing to me. In uh, the year 1900, no uh, personal Pentecost reportings. By the year 1945, 16 million people were claiming a personal Pentecost experience where they were speaking in tongues. Went from zero to 16 million. I mean, it just it snowballed like crazy. Out of that, just a decade later, it went from 16 million in 1955, I'm sorry, 45 was 16 million to 1955, 27 million. In 1975, it was 100 million. By the year 2000, we went from zero to 650 million people claiming a personal Pentecostal experience. Historians, secular historians, not theologians, secular historians call the 20th century the century of the Holy Spirit. That's crazy. Like, that's significant. All these things I'm talking about, those are really imperatives that we embrace this reality, because I believe, and I'm just going to give you my theological conjecture here, we can have distinction without having to have division, but I believe if I'm looking at the context of what God is doing in His Word and in the world around us, and in the last days your sons and daughters will prophesy, then it would make sense to me that the mothers and fathers of the Spirit movement would be born in the century of the Holy Spirit, and the sons and daughters that will prophesy will be the sons and daughters of the mothers and fathers that were born in the century of the Holy Spirit. Is this possible? My heart is full of hope that the body of Christ will rise up and become everything God has called us to be in the power of the Spirit. To be filled with all the fullness of God. I mean, this Ephesians 3 is such a radical declaration of Scripture. You should just focus on that chapter for a season of time. By His Spirit, He strengthens us with power in our inner man that we might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. How is that possible? It is not possible without unity. Because individuals isolated, I, I don't really need to be involved in other people's lives. I come to church. And you're missing something that is a deep dynamic of power God wants to reveal within you. And it requires community. And you need to explore and learn what this community is about if you're going to grow in the deeper reality of Christ. Ephesians 3, becoming mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Ephesians 4 uh, speaks of this, this whole measure of the fullness of Christ as well. Pastor A.T. is going to be uh, launching into uh, a Wednesday night class starting on July the 12th. And I want to challenge you just to go deeper in that time. We take a break from our community groups in the, in the summertime as far as building and all of that. But on that particular, uh, in that particular season, Pastor A.T. will be, uh, I forget what it's called, deeper. How to grow deeper. That's, that's pretty simple. That's good. What he's going to be talking about is how to function in the power of the Spirit as the apostolic ecclesia that the Bible actually says we really are. That is significant. I just said a mouthful, but it is the season of the bride coming into greater maturity. If you were born 
in the 1900s. Would you stand? I'm asked if the worship team will come. Born in the 1900s. I want to say, I really do have a deep, deep conviction that we are to explore what it means to become the mothers and the fathers of the movement of the Spirit that our children need to know. All honesty, how many of you are glad you're not going into the atmosphere of the school systems in this generation in comparison to the atmosphere of school systems in yours? I, I want you to understand something. I'm thankful for kids' ministry. I'm thankful for youth ministry. But you better hear me loud and clear. That's not enough to sustain these kids in the atmosphere they're walking into in the world in which we live. They need every help they can get. I challenge you, get your kids involved in youth. Get your kids involved in kids. But pour into them in your home. Pray for them at night. Read the Bible together. Be the mothers and fathers of the movement of the Spirit that God has called you to be. I feel the anointing of God unlocking this in hearts right now as I'm saying this. calling forth you year 2000 and after we're saying be mighty men and women of the spirit grow in a sensitivity and awareness when God is speaking in your heart that you follow after the ways of God you allow him to awaken something within you that nothing in the world could ever provide for you so I'm going to ask those of you that were born 2,000 or after, would you stand? Lord, today we just stand in your anointing. We acknowledge and we recognize that we're in desperate need of your presence. That ultimately our commission is to carry the life of God's kingdom into a broken, desperate world that is vitally in need of the replenishing, restoring nature of our risen King. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. I, I've written out a prayer that I want us to pray together. And I'm going to read it to you before we pray it so that you're not just, you know, quoting, you know, speaking little excerpts back at me and not really applying your heart. This, this is the prayer I want to ask you to pray with me today. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. How many of you would agree that's a good prayer to pray? Can I hear an amen? <laughs> Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to forgive me for allowing anything to ever keep me from truly cooperating with you. I want to explore the fullness of God for which I was created to experience. 
Would you pray that with me? Truly from your heart, God is a God who answers prayer. So say it. I'll, I'll give you the words. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to forgive me. Forgive me for allowing anything to keep me from truly cooperating. with everything you desire to do. I want to explore the fullness of God I was created to experience. In Jesus' mighty name. Don't just have the Holy Spirit living there. Warmly receive Him. Warmly welcome Him. Warmly interact with Him. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It begins, it begins by accepting Jesus Christ. You can't be filled with the Spirit if you've not first accepted Christ. And so I just want to say today, Jesus is Lord. He is who He says He is. He came, He lived, He died, He's risen from the grave. He is alive and by His Spirit He's drawing us to a deeper place with Him. If you believe that, say amen and give the Lord a hand clap of praise. We just want to honor who Jesus is. I'm going to ask our prayer team in just a moment. Don't, don't move yet. I'm going to ask our prayer team to find their way uh, up to the sides where you can come as we just conclude with a bit of worship and pray. But I, I want to first give you your action point this week. We are those who bring God's presence to real life. So we want to take what God's awakening within us and produce some response. Just give a response to His Word. So this week I want to ask you, Practice praying this week. You can go read the blog and find a lot of information on there, and, and you'll see this. Practice praying this week as Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 14, 15. I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. And I just say, let's be filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Let's then speak the language of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray in the Spirit. Let's pray with understanding. Bearing that in mind, if the worship, uh, sorry, the prayer teams will make their way up and they'll be stationed as we then begin to worship. If you're here and, and you've made a decision to follow Christ, if you're online with us and you've made a decision to follow Christ, then let us know that by saying something, typing it in the field so we can follow up with you. If you're here and you've made that decision, let our prayer team pray with you very specifically. And let me just say, you, some of you may need to just come let the prayer team lay hands on you and pray saying you would really like to have the fresh fire of the Holy Spirit as we just continue in this place of worship. I want to say be filled with the Spirit. This is a command, by the way. This is not just a casual, uh, I hope it happens for you. Ephesians chapter 5 says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy The Bible tells us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
So let's be awakened to all God desires as we walk this out together as a family. Father, we want to bring our worship to you. We want to bring that which you're awakening within us into the context and atmosphere of reciprocating back, saying, Lord, we are so thankful for the day in which we live. This is a day that men and women of old long to experience and explore. Father, help us not to dismiss anything that you've provided and spent all these generations preparing us to receive and walk in. Let your church rise up and be who you've called us to be in this hour of the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Don't hesitate as we worship. Feel free to come and our prayer teams would be delighted to pray for you today.